Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be giving my commentary on Sister Wives, Season 5, Episode 8, Hard to Say Goodbye. We're going to get a lot of insight into Cody's hair this episode. The episode opens with the Brown adults. The Browns are finalizing their decisions for their options on the homes today. The homes should be done in December. Cody definitely wants it done before Christmas. Cody is sick of living in the four homes separately. Christine really doesn't care about Christmas. She just wants to close on these homes and it stresses her out. She is up till 3 a.m. every day worrying about this. She's overwhelmed. She's worried. And she complains that every month she is already way behind financially, yet she has to look perfect on paper to be able to close on these homes. It's not in the bag yet. Cody invalidates Christine. Christine is complaining about how stressed she is, how hard it is. And Cody immediately invalidates Christine in this confessional scene by pointing out to her that they're all dealing with this. It's not just her, all the other wives, Cody himself, they all are living with the same stress. Robin scolds Cody, letting him know that that was not validating for Christine. We're all going through it. It's not just you. Christine tells Kotex what we all know, that he sucks at validating. Cody seems to have no problem validating his favorite wife, though. When Robin had to go to the credit fixer, Cody was very supportive of Robin, and I'm sure all of the family money helped her resolve her debt so she could qualify for these homes. Now, when Christine complains of her struggle and the immense stress she is under to look perfect on paper financially, Cody wants to let Christine know it's not about her. It's not just her. All of them go through it. Yet with Robin, he seemed pretty supportive. Not all the wives were in as bad financial situations as Robin was. And family money that could have gone to the other wives and kids probably went to Robin. Fixing her situation so that they could all qualify for these homes and close. And Cody was very supportive of Robin, but of course, he doesn't extend that same support to Christine. And when Christine complains, he reminds her, you're not the only one. We're all in this. We all suffer. We all struggle. We're all in the same situation you're in. Yet, of course, with Robin, Cody expected the family to make Robin's situation her struggle, their problem. And Cody will bend backwards to help Robin, to validate Robin, to have the family help Robin, to be there for Robin's problem. And Robin's problem took center stage for the family. And when Christine needs support, when Christine needs validation, it's crickets from Cody. A scolding, stop bitching, we're all in the same boat. Cody again reiterates that Christine isn't alone in this. They all struggle. And Christine apologizes. She doesn't need to be apologizing, but she apologizes. And she says, sorry, she gets ridiculously mean when she's very stressed out. Christine wasn't mean. She had nothing to apologize for. But she is putting her emotions, her needs in a box, and she's apologizing as if she is the problem for complaining when the problem is Cody only wanting to validate one wife's struggles and one wife's emotions over everyone else's. Cody should apologize to Christine. It shouldn't be the other way around. He should be the one validating her. And at this point, Christine was so 
programmed to be convenient, to keep sweet, that she is apologizing for being mean when stressed, when she wasn't mean at all, and all she wanted was a little validation and a little understanding. The same understanding Cody had no problem extending to Robin. The same understanding he expected all the wives to have in helping Robin improve her credit situation. Now, after Christine apologizes for nothing that warranted an apology, Cody goes in again and he lets her know again they all have their own budgets that they are dealing with. In other words, don't complain. We're all dealing with this. So even after Christine apologizes for complaining, Cody still continues to invalidate her. He explains that they still haven't qualified for these homes. So he says he understands Christine's fear. They put the money down to start building. They pre-qualified, but there is still a requirement that they need to meet the specific credit corrections to their credit in order to be able to qualify. It's still not guaranteed. But Cody feels it's looking really good. The wives and Cody now, they're going to go one at a time with Cody and the sales lady to finalize their home options. Cody understands why they're going to be doing Cody and each wife privately. The sales lady suggested that Cody and each wife do this separately. And he understands. He says, otherwise you would get each wife's opinion as you are also picking your options. And then you have to go through everybody's opinion before you decide. Cody isn't excited about picking out carpet colors. He really doesn't give a fuck. He is there to make his wives feel secure about the color that they pick out. He says he doesn't care. He just wants a decision made. He wants to hurry through. He wants to get it done. Robin is up first. Robin looked over all of the options. She's not worried about what she chooses. She knows there are more important things. She just feels blessed to get this home. Yeah. Thanks to her sister wives, she's getting this home. Just like the home she's in now, thanks to her sister wives. Ex-sister wives. Without this family and without Robin's sister wives, I don't feel Robin would ever live in a home like this, ever. Mary is up next, and the sales lady warns Cody before Mary even steps in the room that she is already 200 over budget, even before making these final selections. And she still also hasn't decided on some of the necessities, like a washer and dryer, for example. And she's already 200 over budget. Cody looks very concerned. The sales lady looks very concerned. And Mary points out that when she walked in the room, it felt ominous. She felt a heaviness. Cody immediately lets Mary know she has nothing to work with financially. She is already 200 over budget. They still haven't gotten necessities. Mona lets Mary know, you know, you can still choose colors, though. You can still pick customizations here and there. Now, Cody wants to start picking tile colors. He wants to get straight to business. And Mary pumps the brakes. And she seems Utterly shocked that she is 200 over budget. She is in total disbelief. And Cody again calmly explains that she is already 200 over and that's about $5,000 worth of stuff that she still has to decide on. And she's already over budget. 
Mary is very thrown off by this, and Mary suspected that Cody was pre-warmed that she was already over budget and that he needs to really watch her because she's still going to want to check out all of the expensive options that she won't ever be able to afford. Mary insisted on French doors, on wet bars that would include having several extra rooms that she didn't need, on this and that, and now she won't be able to have whatever she wants for finishes, the most expensive finishing options. Mary ate up her budget. All of the other women, including Robin, were able to rationalize and separate their emotions from this and pick their necessities, the things they could do without, the things they have to have, And they realize that they can have some of the stuff they want, but most of the choices will be a concession. Mary doesn't logically do the math. Everything is emotional with her. Mary gets the exact same budget as the other women. And these women have more needs. They have more kids to deal with. And they're able to give and take and fit within their budgets without taking hours to decide and spew their emotions everywhere in front of the sales lady. If I were the sales lady, I wouldn't necessarily warn Cody separately first, but I'd be frustrated before I was even dealing with this woman, knowing how she is, knowing how emotional she gets. And I would warn Cody and Mary both together, this is your situation, this is the situation you're in financially, these are your options, and I would let her know, listen, I'm booked solid, I don't have more than X amount of time today to deal with this, if you and your husband want to take the list home of the things you need to decide on and all of the samples, fine, decide this at home, but unfortunately this is the time limit I have scheduled for you today. Because that sales lady had to sit through a lot of things that should have been done privately and a lot of emotions that she shouldn't have needed to witness. Mary is very stressed out. She puts her hands to her temple. She's overwhelmed because she can't get the top of the line carpet or the tile she might prefer. Mary knows full well she got the wet bar. She got the French door. She got the house plan that had to get the wet bar that comes with all these extra rooms when the other wives have had to have their kids share rooms to make it within their budgets. So Mary can get the equal budget she deserves. They have to make do with less, and she deserves that equal budget. And Mary is still making this personal, being selfish, being emotional, when the other wives also have to deal with more needs, with less of the bells and whistles I'm sure they would love to have that Mary can get. These women that have six kids each have to make do without getting some of the things they actually need, the right amount of rooms in their home, for example. And Mary gets the equal budget. She gets a lot of her wants, a lot of custom things that she really wants that are important to her. And Mary is sitting there upset and emotional because she can't have the exact upgraded carpet or tile she wants. When she knows she's able to get all of her needs met and more, plus most of her bells and whistles. And Mary deserves equal. She deserves to do whatever she wants with that equal budget. But it feels very ridiculous to me that she is stressing, being emotional, making an ordeal over this. And it feels very selfish considering the other wives have to forego what they might actually need. I really felt like it was ridiculous. And I'm going to stand on that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Christine was under budget. Even Robin, even the goblin was able to make her choices without being selfish and getting emotional. Janelle was able to make her choices. So the way Mary handled this was too much. And she probably was emotional about other stuff, about the state of her relationship with Cody. And I know Cody was very absent as a husband. He was cruel to her. And maybe she associates her home with him and the way it is with him as a correlation to their relationship somehow and she seems to want to compensate also for not having what she hoped for in life a house full of kids with having nice things with having her home exactly as she wants with having everything she wants and I get that but I just think Mary was immature and she could have handled this a little better and I really felt for that sales lady. Mary is very stressed at this point and Cody tells her He doesn't want to do the upgraded carpet. They don't even need to see it. They don't even need to see the things that are out of their price range. Obviously, there is no budget for any of the upgraded stuff. And he asks Mary if she even wants to see it. And Mary insists to see everything, even the upgraded stuff. And she says it's for fun. How is it fun looking at all of the shit you would love to have that you know you can't afford. I'm not into window shopping, looking at things I know I love and I can't have. And I know some people like that. I am the kind of person I would know exactly what my budget was, exactly what I wanted, what I could live with, what I could live without, and I would be done with it. I wouldn't even want to see the stuff that I wish I could have that I know I can't have. And I could never spend hours and hours on these things. Imagine how many times Mary might want to decide on this upgraded carpet or this upgraded tile she can't have. And then imagine her fighting with herself over other decisions she made previously that she might want to change now to be able to get that upgraded thing. Things that are already finalized, she's going to vacillate on wanting to change them because she wanted to see the upgraded tile. That's a nightmare. There isn't enough weed in the world to make me patient enough to sit through something like that. If I was a sales lady, I'd drop off all the samples and give the wives their checklists and tell them, take this, pick everything, finalize it with your husband, and come in when you're ready. I need your paperwork by X day if you want to build by this day. You know, maybe they were just filming this in the office for filming opportunities, but a lot of this, the sales lady and Mona really don't need to be witnessing. They need the choices, not the endless ruminating and the emotions that come with four wives picking their options separately with their shared husband. I really feel like that's a lot for them. Bless them. Bless them both. Now, in confessional, Mary explains that Cody was rushing through with her. He was rushing through this. He wanted to get it done. And Cody explains he didn't want Mary thinking too much. And Mary agrees 
She knows it's a problem if she thinks about this too much, if she ruminates on it. The thing is, Mary will start thinking and she'll decide she really likes the priciest carpet or the priciest tile. And then she might go back and want to change all of her past final decisions that she made on the important stuff to be able to afford the upgraded carpet. And then they're going to be renegotiating everything. And then it's a roller coaster in hell for everyone involved. Now, Cody says, if Mary starts thinking, she'll add on more and more and more and more. And Mary says, she can be practical and logical. Really? When? But she has the emotional side to her and she feels if there's something and then she trails off. And I wonder if she was going to say, if there's something she wants, she's going to get it. Now, Mary explains that this is a house she'll be living in for a very long time and she wants it to be right. And Cody is looking down in this confessional scene in utter defeat. He's just like looking down in his lap like he just wants to get this done. Mary doesn't seem practical or logical to me. She's a very emotionally based person. Her feelings drive her. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's understandable, especially considering how cruel Cody was, how absent he was as a husband for years. But What was practical really, though, about the wet bar? Mary is saying she's a practical person. What was practical about it? She had to add an extra fifth bedroom. She had to add the pantry and the hobby room. What was practical about it? Mary feels she'd rather get the house right than spending the extra money later down the road to fix what wasn't done in the right way. So Mary is looking at everything. Mary is looking at the upgraded carpet options that she can't afford with Cody And he asks her if she has $10,000 extra to add to this. And Mary says no. From her personal budget, she doesn't have that amount of money. So Cody tells Mary he's going to insist that they get certain things in the house, the necessities. And Mary asks Cody what he means. And Cody lets Mary know he feels like they definitely need a washer and dryer in the home. That's a necessity. And they still haven't picked out the washer or dryer yet. And of course, they're already 200 over budget. But Mary has to look at every last shred of upgraded option that there is available to her, even though she's already in the hole and she knows she can't afford it. Mary just said that she can be a logical person. How practical is she if she's picking bells and whistles when she's already over budget by $200 and she still hasn't picked out and included the washer and dryer in her budget? I think this is ridiculous. Now, Cody tells Mary that he doesn't want to have to buy the washer and dryer separately and haul them in and install them. Mary feigns confusion and she wants Cody to start at the beginning. I feel so bad for Mona and for the sales lady who have to endure this. So Mary lets Cody know he's been through this already with one wife, Robin, and so he understands all the choices. And Mary lets Cody know she hasn't done this before. She doesn't understand all of her options. I think Mary understands perfectly well, and I think she just wants to vacillate and put everyone through hell, going over every last choice to make room for other choices driving everyone nuts, going back, changing old things she decided on to get this new stuff that she decides she really likes. When really she and Cody should have these discussions privately. These poor salespeople, they're expecting, do we want the cherry or mahogany cabinets? Baby, let's do the mahogany. We know I spill shit. We know this. We know that. Not 
Oh, I want to see all of the expensive carpet options, all of the expensive tile options that I can't afford. I'm going to get emotional over it as my husband has to explain that we're already over budget and that this is before we have even picked out the necessities like the washer and dryer. This is just like, wow, wow. Now, Cody explains to Mary, this is the beginning. They're already in the beginning. And Cody lets Mary know she's already deep in the hole and Mary is frustrated and she rests her head in her hands, elbows on the table, just like a toddler would do. And she complains that she walked into that room and Cody had a wall up. I don't condone Cody's conduct as a husband or his absence or detachment or emotional abuse or cruelty towards Mary. But in this situation, Cody just wanted to get done. He was being logical. He was being practical. All of the other women made their choices and Mary can too. And a thought, you know, crossed my mind as I was watching this, that maybe Mary behaved this way to get extra attention because she knew Cody would have to pay attention to her. So she milked it, wanting to look at every last thing, even knowing she can't afford it. She made an ordeal out of this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. Cody had basically abandoned Mary as a husband at this point. So maybe this is really the only way Mary got any attention from him. So she milked it. She stressed it out. But still, she could have had these conversations with Cody privately at home. Mary tells Cody he had a wall up, he was defensive, and she says he was acting like he was just going to tell her how it was going to be. In this situation, Cody was just trying to be an adult about it and get done, and the sales ladies knew this would be a shit show even before Mary walked in the room. Everyone just wants to get done. And in this situation, just this situation, I don't believe Cody was trying to control Mary. I think he was trying to be practical. I think he was trying to get done. And I think Mary really wanted Cody's attention. And she got it by being difficult, by being emotional, and by belaboring this. But I just really feel for the sales lady and for Mona, who are sitting there having to watch this interaction. Mary tells Cody in front of the sales lady that he has this weird, funky energy with her that stresses her out. And in my opinion, Cody knows that Mary is being ridiculous about this, that practically they can't get the most expensive options. There's no need to go through them. And he really wants to get done. And I think Mary wants attention from Cody. And this is how she's getting it. And Cody is controlling. He is controlling. But in this moment, in this situation with Mary, it's not about him being controlling. He wants to be done. I think he's being an adult and he's trying to be reasonable and rational and practical. And he knows Mary is going to belabor it. Now, Cody tells Mary he knows she's going to overspend. They're already way, way, way over budget. And he explains to her all he's trying to do is stay on task and ensure that Mary stays on task. Mary at this point gets pissed and she tells Cody she needs him to not have this energy and he is stressing her out. Mary complains that she's stressed now so Cody tells her he can leave the room and he can leave her alone to make her decisions alone 
And Mary tells Cody this is not a fight. And Cody says he's not trying to make it be a fight. And this is all happening in front of the salespeople. And Mary demands that the sales lady do the other wives before her and she will go last. Mary says that Cody just kept throwing this negative, defensive, emotional energy towards her. So she wasn't having it. She walked out of the room and she says she knew if she stayed in there, she and Cody were just going to blow up. I really think Mary is projecting. I think she is the one who is making it emotional and Cody just wants to be logical and rational here. He doesn't want to waste time. He knows he has to do this times four and I think Mary is bringing her emotions about her relationship with Cody into this and she's bringing in the fact that this gets her attention from Cody. She knows this will get her attention. These decisions about the carpet and the tile and belaboring this gets her attention And I think she wanted attention from Cody. The other women also have to endure Cody's toxicity, Cody's cruelty, Cody's absence, Cody's distance. And they don't bring their emotions into these decisions. They're able to compartmentalize. And the salespeople in that room really shouldn't have that tension imposed on them. This was something Mary needed to figure out privately with Cody. Mary says she didn't feel that she deserved the attitude she was getting from Cody. And she wasn't sure why she was getting it so forcefully. Now, Cody usually has an attitude. He can be cynical, he can be negative, he can be resentful, he can be a curmudgeon. But in this situation, I just think he was being clear, he was being logical, he communicated well, he wasn't really being an asshole. He wasn't trying to be cruel. I think he was just stating facts, like we need a washer and dryer first, we're already 200 over budget, we don't need to look at the most expensive options for carpet and tile that we know we can't afford when we still haven't picked necessities. He didn't do anything out of line. I don't feel he had an attitude, but I think Mary is pissed about the way he treats her in general in their relationship, and she should be. But this belaboring of this and these choices is about Mary being pissed about that and wanting attention from Cody. And that and her emotions from her relationship with Cody, she is bringing into these decisions and it's clouding her logic. And the salespeople are the ones who have to suffer through this. Mary is projecting this. She feels emotional about her relationship with Cody and she's making it about these decisions right now and the upgraded carpet and the tile. This is one of the very few situations where Cody was reasonable, on camera at least. We did not see what he did off camera. So Mary leaves the room saying she needed a break, and Cody felt like Mary would probably go get Robin to side with her to sway Cody, and that's exactly what happened. Cody explains that he was trying to guide Mary. All he was trying to do was to keep her on task, and he wasn't giving her a lot of time to vacillate. So Mary got very frustrated with that and she left. Janelle is up next and then Christine and then they're going to end with Mary. Janelle has already calculated her budget. She knows where her budget stands and Janelle really wanted a cement pad out back and she knows if she opts for that it's going to have to come out of her pocket out of her individual finances separate from the budget for the home. She knows she would rather have blinds and that they can always go back and pour a cement pad later. So for her, it's really no big deal. They'll do it when they move it. Cody calmly argues his point and he's saying that the kids will have to go 
to the backyard through the front door because otherwise they're going to drag dirt in the house. And Janelle knows. She understands this, but she's calm. She says they can just pour a pad later, but right now she knows she doesn't have a budget for a cement pad, so they're not getting one. And Cody agrees. She agrees. And Cody feels it was way too easy. He tells Janelle she did a good job and he even wants a little love when their session is over. Now, Janelle explains that she gave up her cement pad and she'll just DIY when they are in the home later on. Christine has a lot of room in her budget, so she has fun with her options because she has extra money left over. She's got a bucket of money, she jokes. And Cody has the balls, he has the audacity to jokingly ask her if she can loan it to another wife, meaning Mary. Christine asks, well, if she absolutely needs to, is this a necessity? She decides that she's willing to see what she wants and then go from there if there's extra. Because Christine has one thing that she really wants in her house, and that is the exterior stone on the outside of her house. So she had to cut back on all of her other options in order to get this. And she had to decide what to cut back on and the level of importance to her of those things to be able to get that stone on the outside of her house, but she really wants it. Cody lets Christine know that he is not trying to discourage her from getting the exterior stone that she really wants, but he suggests that what is left in her budget could instead go to help Mary. Fuck no. Christine gives Cody an angry look. She should. She should be pissed, and she's not going to allow it. Frankly, I couldn't even believe that Cody had the balls to ask Christine. You know, all the wives get equal budgets regardless of what their actual needs are or how many people are in their families. They all get the same. Mary, who has one child, is getting everything she wants. She gets the floor plan she wants with the wet bar that has to have the added hobby room and fifth bedroom and pantry and the French doors and all of these other bells and whistles the other wives can't afford. They're housing multiple kids. They're having to cut back on necessities. Their kids are having to share rooms. And Mary gets most of her extras. And now, because Mary is being emotional, pitching a fit over getting the most expensive tile and carpet or the fanciest options she can't afford, knowing she's already way over budget, she hasn't even picked out all of her necessities, like a washer and dryer, Cody is asking Christine to forego what she really wants, one of the things she really wants, to give her excess budget to Mary, who wants it all. I found it disgusting that Cody would even ask Christine that jokingly. Christine asks the sales lady to see how much the exterior stone would cost before she makes her decision. And she lets Cody know, most likely, she's going to be selfish and get the stone. Now, if Christine gets the stone and doesn't give her excess budget to Mary, she wouldn't be selfish. She stayed on budget, which is rightfully hers. That's her budget to spend down to the last penny. And if she's able to afford the stone and she really wants it, it is selfish of Cody and it is selfish of Mary to even think or expect Christine to forego what is in her budget, which she planned on, so that she could afford this stone that she really wants just to assuage Mary. I think that's really selfish, and I don't think Christine is selfish at all for having the exterior stone. Christine warns Cody most likely she's going to do the stone, and Cody disappointedly tells Christine that it's up to her. She can do what she wants. 
And Christine asks Cody, hey, are you trying to guilt trip me? Now, I think Cody is really trying to push Christine to forego something she budgeted for that she really wants, even if it's within her budget, to give that money to Mary just so he doesn't have to deal with Mary. And that's not fair to Christine. And I'm really glad she got the exterior stone she wanted, and I thought it looked lovely. Now, Cody says he wasn't trying to guilt trip Christine. In my opinion, I think Cody knows it's more convenient to him to just take money from Christine to give it to Mary to shut Mary up so he doesn't have to deal with her and her emotions. Even to joke about it is very unfair to Christine. As a husband, Cody should have never even suggested this to Christine. He should have advocated for his wives to each get their fair share and to use it down to the last penny. If Mary wants things over her budget, that should be on her. Cody doesn't give a fuck what Christine deserves. His convenience comes first. And also, Mary is the only legal wife. So he and Mary are connected to this house legally. The other women applied for these homes as single women. So Cody's name is attached to Mary's home, and it profits him financially for that home to have as much value as possible. Christine is in confessional with the other wives and Cody and she explains how she's under budget and she wants to keep that extra part of her budget and she explains that she isn't trying to be selfish. Not at all. I doubt anyone thinks Christine is being selfish at all. Christine happens to be looking at Mary as she explains that she isn't trying to be selfish and Mary takes offense and she asks Christine, really you're talking to me? And Christine explains to Mary that Cody is the one who initially suggested that she give Mary her excess. Cody tells Christine that it was a joke when he suggested it. Listen, Cody threw it out there jokingly, but he also wanted to see if Christine would bite, if she'd be open at all to see if he could possibly manipulate his way in to getting that money for Mary. I think the joke was thrown out as a suggestion He wanted the back and forth done with Mary. This excess money would solve it. He threw it out there into the universe. Cody insists it was entirely a joke, but really it would have benefited him considering his name was on that home as well. He was connected to that home as well, and it benefited him to get all of these extra bells and whistles as well. Christine didn't feel like it was entirely a joke, as Cody states. Christine tells Cody that after he suggested it, even jokingly, she felt selfish for using the excess for herself. Mary doesn't think Christine should have felt selfish at all. She shouldn't have felt that way, Mary feels. And Christine says she felt selfish for using that extra money in her budget on herself for the things she wanted and for not giving it to Mary. Christine wanted that stone so bad and she doubted her choice to get the stone when she shouldn't have. Mary assures Christine she really shouldn't feel selfish. And Mary admits she herself feels selfish for going over her budget. Finally, now it's Mary's turn in the room with Cody to pick her options for a second go-around. And Cody had anticipated that when Mary left, Mary would go complain to Robin about her experience and she would get Robin and bring her in to side with her in a way to influence Cody. And that's exactly what Mary did. Cody was right. Mary is in confessional alone with Cody here as he's explaining this, that Mary behaved as he predicted she would, that he would bring Robin in to side with her to sway him. 
And Mary gets pissed about it. And she's asking Cody in an angry tone, are you kidding me? She explains to Cody that it's not about getting somebody on her side. She gets angry and she asks Cody, is that what you think this relationship is? A competition? All the women in this situation are well aware there is a hierarchy, spoken or unspoken. There is a favorite wife. There is a more favored wife. And the favored wife has influence. And if you can get that wife on your side, they can both cacklet Cody to get whatever it is. And they triangulate that favorite person in, the person that's more favored in the moment. And I believe Mary brought Robin in because she knew it would help to have Robin there. And I'm sure Robin was happy to be inserted into this situation. That shouldn't even involve her. Now, Cody apologizes to Mary when he sees that she is pissed off. And he says, it's not about siding with Mary. It's about validating her. He says he means to validate her. Mary is emotional. She's wiping away her tears as Cody apologizes to her. And he tells Mary there's a reason that he was in that place. Through tears, Mary tells Cody, let's just keep putting the blame on somebody else. That's the only thing Cody knows how to do. Cody never takes accountability. Cody, Robin, and Mary at this point are now all in the conference room with Mona and the sales lady. And Cody explains to Robin Mary's situation that Mary is already $200 over budget. They haven't added anything, not even the blinds yet at this point, not even necessities. And Cody felt like Mary brought Robin in with her to keep him from being combative. Mary realizes she's acting crazy and she apologizes to the sales lady. And Mary explains that she was frustrated because she came into this not knowing what was going on. She didn't know what her choices were and she didn't feel like Cody was explaining it very well to her. Cody again explains the same thing that with all of Mary's choices so far, they're already $200 over budget. They still haven't gotten necessities. So Mary's way of wanting to figure this out is by choosing everything they want first and then seeing how bad it is and then deciding. So Mary's stance is let's pick everything we want and see how bad it is. You know, why not go in there knowing your budget, being aware, knowing your necessities, knowing your wants versus needs, picking the needs, and then seeing what wants you can include. Mary has already become emotionally invested in all of these wants and in doing it her way and having everything exactly her way. And it's just going to make all of these choices much harder on everyone, her included, to pick everything you want and then figuring it out after. Now, Mary agrees to go with the standard carpet rather than the upgraded, And Cody explains that in that situation, he was fighting so many emotions. And he clarifies to Mary, it's not that she's bad in any way. His emotional state, it's not over her. It's just that he has a lot of relationships going on. And he was trying to get through this process as fast and as affordably as possible. So Mary has decided that she will separately buy a washer and dryer separate from the budget from her individual money and she also has to pay for the blinds separately from her money outside of the budget. So after all of these headaches, Mary will be paying for the blinds and the washer and dryer separately and 
that set aside, she is now a little less than 50 bucks over the budget, and she accepts that's just how it is. She'll be over budget. Now, Mary explains why she's over budget, and she makes a ton of excuses. And she says, the reason she's over budget is this circle of events. Mary's over budget because Mary insisted on getting everything she wanted and having to pay for it separately. And she also could not be logical and remove her emotions from these decisions to stay within the budget. And she has the luxury of getting what she wants from her individual money because she only has one child. So she was able to pull this off. It's not really about a circle of events or misunderstandings. Mary wanted everything she wants. She got everything she wants. And she is putting this on a vague circle of events rather than just admitting herself she made the choice consciously to be over budget. She wants what she wants and she is accountable. It's not about this vague circle of events that she references. But Mary explains the circle of events. She wanted the wet bar, not to have the bar, but to have the extra counter space to entertain. Well, I'm sure Janelle or Christine would have wanted separate bedrooms for all of their kids. Not for the luxury, but just so their child could have their own separate individual room and their own door, their own personal private space in their own home. Instead, some of them had to share. But Mary needed that wet bar. She needed the counter space. Janelle and Christine also needed more bedrooms, probably more than Mary needed that counter space. But they made do. They didn't have extra money from their own individual budget to be able to cover all of the excess they wanted. Now, Mary says... Having the wet bar was important to her. She needed that extra counter space so bad. And with the plan that has the wet bar, she needed to have the two extra rooms to be able to have the wet bar, the hobby room and the pantry behind the kitchen. And she also needed the fifth bedroom because that's the house plan that they would be licensed for. So luckily, because Mary has one child, this money, this excess, her going over budget, she can pay from her private money separate from the home budget. It's not coming from anyone else's budget. But Mary's able to get everything she wants because she doesn't have all of those mouths to feed and all of those people to house. So she has that luxury of saying, well, I can pull extra money. I can do this. I can do that. The other wives don't have that luxury. Next, Over at Mary's house, the family is planning a surprise for Logan. And the family is going to be making Logan a video of the whole family wishing him well, talking about the fun memories they have with Logan. Logan can take this video and keep it always. When he goes off to college, he'll have those memories there. Logan's not going far. He's going to be in their backyard at UNLV. Christine explains that Mary was the videographer and she was in charge. Everyone knew that Mary would make sure everybody got there, everyone would get filmed, and it would come out beautifully. So Mary spent all day filming several of the kids and the adults getting their portions done, and she discovered that the camcorder wasn't actually recording. She actually had the camcorder on pause when she thought she was recording. So Mary was actually pushing the record button when she thought she was on pause and pause when recording. And she did that for most of the day. Gabe 
had to educate Mary on how to use the camera. And Mary had to refilm a bunch of stuff, but Mary loved hearing the kids recount their memories of Logan, the big brother they very much looked up to. Mary points out that Logan has been a great oldest child and he has always been very responsible. And Janelle adds that back in Utah when she worked, Logan, under Christine's supervision, was getting all of the kids ready, making breakfast for them, getting them ready for school. And Janelle explains that Logan has been integral to the family and the way things work for them, especially in the mornings and their morning routine. Logan was parentified at a very young age, but he also has an air of wisdom and responsibility and maturity. And he seems to always have had an inherent sense of responsibility instilled in him as well. He seems very invested in his family and in his siblings, and he's a grown adult now. He has his own life, but he is still invested in his family. We know that he's one of the siblings who wanted to do the gift exchange before it got torpedoed by Robin at Christmas. Janelle is going to feel different without Logan being there. Christine recalls that whenever Logan would come home from the ranch at the end of summer, She was always so happy to see him and she always wanted to give him the biggest hug. Logan coming home was awesome. The kids would be excited. The adults would be excited. It was this big, heartwarming family reunion. And Robin remembers Logan coming home and she says that was the moment she fell in love with the Brown family. The first time she spent time with the Browns as a family, Logan was actually coming home from Wyoming. And Robin got to see that reunion firsthand, and she thought the family was so fun. Robin writes about this experience, and it wasn't exactly the first time she spent time with the family. It was the second day when Logan came back from Wyoming. And Robin writes, It was immediately clear to me how much this family loved one another. It hit me exactly how much both my kids and I had been missing out on a thriving, stable family experience. The thing I wanted for my kids, first and foremost, was a good family. And here it was in front of me, a family literally overflowing with love. Robin goes on. She writes, Everyone was all talking at once in what I've come to know as typical Brown style, trying to see who can talk the loudest, I've learned that there is rarely a quiet moment in the Brown house. They were also animated and expressive and full of stories. I felt as if I were looking inside their world. It was an amazing experience. I fell in love with Cody's family before I fell in love with him. How quickly did all that love turn into resentment? Yeah, Robin was so in love with Cody's family that she prioritized Cody herself and her kids over the well-being of the larger family. Robin also points out in Becoming Sister Wives that she was more interested in a husband and having a solid romantic relationship with him than she was in having sister wives. Her focus was getting her needs met. Her focus was herself. Her focus was financial security and stability for herself and her kids, in my opinion. Her focus was never the larger family and their well-being. Cody remembers those reunions at the end of summer, and Cody says this is why he wants to be in the homes by Christmas. He feels if they're in the homes by Christmas, then it might solidify it so every Christmas all the kids will look forward to this 
and everyone will want to come home for Christmas. Cody wants the family to have that home Christmas this year. He wants to be in the homes, especially since the kids are starting to leave for college. He wants them to really feel like they have a home base. Next, we learn a lot about Cody's hair. Cody heads to his hairstylist to cut his hair, and she mentions her concerns to Cody. Cody admits that he and his stylist discuss his hair often. She discusses her concerns with him. The stylist is very concerned that Cody's clips are getting thinner whenever she separates his hair in order to cut it. Each time she cuts it, and she's been cutting Cody's hair for a year, she notices as time goes by, the clips are getting drastically thinner and thinner, these sections. She's been cutting Cody's hair for a year. It keeps getting thinner. His hair is jumping ship. Cody explains that his hair is thinner. He notices it himself, and his stylist nags him to cut his hair shorter. But Cody says he's attached to his hair, and he knows it's crazy. This is over a decade ago. If Cody knows it's crazy, then he knows how crazy his hair looks now. Cody explains before he can cut it, he has to get used to the idea, and then maybe, maybe he'll do something. He asks his stylist, well, at least today, is his hair going to look bad leaving the salon? Uh, Maybe it doesn't look bad at this point, but it surely is no good. His stylist assures him, no, it's not that bad. You know, maybe I'm sure she could sell him some follicle booster spray at 50 bucks a pop, and maybe that'll help. Cody tells his stylist that one of these days, he might just shock his wives and shave it all. Cody pretends like he's going to decide to shave his hair. So he acts like he is ready to take the plunge, go for it, rip the band-aid. And his stylist just grabs the trimmer, she turns it on, and she's approaching Cody as Cody reveals, nah, he's kidding, ha ha ha, and he still hasn't taken the plunge over a decade later. The stylist, though, was relieved Cody didn't want to go through with it because she is friends with Cody's wives, and she is worried Cody's wives might never speak to her ever again. Cody explains that it was like looking over the edge of a cliff, wondering, what if you just fell? Cody realized that he needed to back away. His stylist doesn't know if Cody will ever shave his head. She says his wives, they're her friends, and she knows they won't like the idea of Cody shaving it all off. But his stylist is frank. She doesn't know what other options Cody has. He doesn't have many options. And she knows it needs to be discussed with Cody's wives. Over sad background music, Cody says to feel like he has to shave his head, it's emotionally packed. He says he'll be a big boy, but it's bugging him that it's imminent, that it's coming, that one day he will have to. Cody says his wives, they love the long hair, what Cody describes as a shaggy surfer look. His stylist points out that if Cody made the decision, it's out of necessity now. It's to the point, and this is a decade ago, where she feels it's out of necessity that Cody has to cut his hair. It's that bad. Cody wonders how long he should prolong the pain. Guess what? He's a glutton for punishment. 
He is one sadistic fuck because he is still holding on to those strands. Cody feels he should talk to his wives first. He should warn them. And he asks his stylist. He seems really concerned. Are we still okay? Does my hair still look okay? He admits it's obvious to him that his hair is thin. And his stylist tells him she's done his hair for over a year now. And she has noticed a significant difference in his hair. She highlights the bald spots up front. And she says with that, she really doesn't know how much longer Cody will have before they will just have to cut it. She doesn't know how long they'll be able to maintain what he calls his surfer look rather than it just looking like a grandpa, a grandpa surfer. Cody wonders, well, maybe he'll look okay clean cut, but Cody admits it's having the long hair that's made it possible for him to have the wings up front to separate the front of his part at his forehead because At this point, he is able to part his hair in the front and comb from the middle to comb over and cover his forehead and comb over from the front to cover the baldness in the front of his forehead. Cody is clear. He admits it. Cody now has just two measly, wispy tendrils left up front. It's completely bald up front till the center of his head. And he still won't cut his hair over a decade later. And Cody keeps saying he won't cut it because of his wives. This isn't about his wives. Three of his wives have left him and Cody still holds on to this grandpa look. This is about Cody. This is about Cody's ego and Cody being insecure. And Cody holding on to his hair even a decade later is a projection of his fragile ego. He seems very insecure at his core. Seeing a guy like David, Christine's husband, completely comfortable in his skin, that's way more attractive to most women than a guy like Cody with a comb over and a grandpa cut. He's holding on to his hair for his ego, when at this point it looks more ridiculous than he would look if he just went for it and cut his hair. Now, Cody admits he has a comb over. He says it flat out, I have a comb over. He describes how he does it. He says he has a comb over, comb from the middle of his hair instead of the sides. And because of the length, he's able to comb it from the middle to go over the top. Next, it's Logan's last day at home. He's going to be moving into UNLV tonight. It's his first time living away from home. And so Janelle is cooking him breakfast. They're supposed to eat as a family. And then they're going to have a family meal with the whole family gathered. And then they will send Logan off. So Janelle asks Logan if the whole family can go see his dorms and she asks if it's too embarrassing for all of the adults in the family to go see it. Logan is really nervous about college. He says on one level he's worried about how public his family is. Logan is very curious as to how people, how his peers, how his colleagues, how his friends, how his dorm mates will receive or perceive the polygamous lifestyle that he's a part of. The kids and Janelle are all waiting around for Cody. They're sitting around the table waiting for breakfast. The breakfast is made. Cody is late for family breakfast. He's grooming his hair. He's preening, admiring his biceps and his great six-pack abs in the mirror as everyone's waiting for him to come down and eat. Logan is frustrated that Cody is late on his last breakfast with his siblings and his mom. 
and he asks, where's dad? And he's obviously annoyed, as are the rest of Logan's siblings. And Janelle points out, Cody is always late like this. That's just how Cody is. The kids are annoyed and they yell for Cody to hurry. And his majesty finally arrives as the kids complain and they've already eaten half of them. Cody complains about getting a day off as his kids bitch at him for being tardy. He took so long getting ready with his whole family waiting on him to eat, the little kids included. Most of the kids know that Cody spent his time doing his hair. So Maddie asks Cody if he actually blow dried his hair as they were waiting for him. And Cody says he didn't, but it looks like he did. Gabe tells his dad that his hair is all weird and frizzy. And Maddie tells her dad he's balding and the kids are pressing buttons. They're all pissed because Cody made them all wait as he preened. So now they're all teasing Cody, knowing his receding hairline is a sore spot, it's a button to push, and that they were sitting there waiting, being disrespected by him as he's sitting there spending that time on his hair. Cody yells at Maddie to stop talking about his balding. Everyone there knows they waited just so Cody could do his hair. And it wasn't a necessity, but Cody took his time selfishly not worrying about his kids, not worrying about his wife, not worrying about breakfast getting cold. They're all waiting downstairs on him and Cody doesn't give a fuck because his hair comes first. The kids are just pressing buttons because they know this will piss Cody off. Cody wants it to stop. His ego can't take it. I think Cody expected feeding and he's now getting dense in his ego. He's getting chinks in that fragile armor. In all reality, his kids' time, his wife's time, their hunger on Logan's last day being home, Cody being present with his family on Logan's last day, being on time, that takes precedence over hair. Letting people wait on you, knowing that you're just doing your hair and worrying about your appearance is very selfish. Cody knows that one of the most disrespectful things a person can do is not respect a person's time. We all have limited time in this life. At any moment, your life can be cut short. And when you're late and someone is waiting on you, you are stealing those minutes of their life. You are saying you matter more. Your hair matters more. Your appearance matters more. Whatever you're doing instead of being on time matters more. That's selfish. What you want means more than the other person's wasted time ticking down the clock of their life. Waiting on you. You expect teenagers to be selfish like that. You expect teenagers to dilly-dally, to think the world revolves around them. Not a grown-ass man. But of course, this is Cody, and unfortunately, that's the maturity level we are dealing with here. Cody lets Maddie know that it's not funny for her to discuss his balding, and Cody says it's a personal slam. Cody isn't being accountable at all for being late. And what he's doing is he is making this about how he is hurt, how his feelings are hurt, how he is the victim. He's doing this as a deflection. Everyone's being mean to me because I'm going bald. It becomes about Cody and not about his lateness and him taking accountability for it. It's about Cody as a victim, how the world does him wrong. And just like that, everyone forgets about Cody taking his accountability for being late. Cody deflected. Cody's kids are all really amused. They're all grinning and laughing at Cody as Cody goes on. And Cody says, 
It's not funny. And he asks how they would take it if someone pointed out, oh, your hair is thinning. You know what? Cody was laughing and joking with the hairstylist about his hair balding. And here, just to avoid accountability for being late, now it's a problem. Now he's sensitive. Now he can't take it when his kids joke about his receding hairline. But it was okay for him to joke about it yesterday with his stylist. In confessional, Maddie explains that her dad is balding, that he tries to hide it. Hunter agrees. Hunter thinks his dad tries to hide it. And he thinks the reason Cody keeps his hair so long That's because his dad knew that he was going bald, and once he started to go bald, he wanted to say he still had hair, so he grew it longer. And Hunter explains, everything is there except for the two eggs up front, and Hunter does a demonstration with his hands on his hairline to show the bald spots. And Maddie explains just what Cody did a second ago about how Cody combs his hair over. And Cody says, Maddie brought up that he was balding at breakfast after he just got his hair cut and the stylist had talked to him about his thinning hair. And Mary and Cody share the same stylist. And Mary mentions that the stylist mentions it a lot and she brings it up a lot. And Cody wonders if he should shave his head. Cody explains how Kennedy, the stylist, was actually about to do it, to shave his head as he's sitting there in confessional with his wives. And he is the one who said no. And Robin is pissed. She asks Mary, you left him alone at the salon? Mary explains, well, this time she didn't go with him. And Janelle says, once Cody had a buzz cut and it was atrocious. Christine explains that Cody came home from vacation one time with a buzz cut. He walked in. Christine was grossed out and she thought it was awful. Now, they show a photo of Cody with buzzed hair with short much shorter hair and frankly coming from a girl who normally likes guys with longer hair Cody looked much better with the buzz cut especially looking at the state of his hair now a decade later looking at his hairline and the buzz cut for sure would look better than whatever the fuck this is that he has going on now I think he should do the buzz cut in my opinion I think he'll look way better not that it really matters what I think listen At the end of the day, all that matters is what you think about yourself. If Cody walks around with his hair like that and he likes his hair like that, who gives a fuck what anyone else thinks? When Christine mentions that Cody's buzz cut was awful, Cody asks Christine, you mean you were grossed out by it? And Christine says, yes. I was so happy when she was open with him that she was grossed out by it. Because let's all remember the nacho incident. Cody says the only time he's ever liked his hair is after he grew it long. That's the only way he liked his hair ever since he was a teenager. Mary says Cody having his hair long, that's her favorite way. She doesn't want him to cut it. And Janelle says Cody's hair has become so much of his persona in her mind that it's weird for her to think that he won't always have it. So Cody agrees. All of his wives want him to keep the hair. So he won't shave his hair until he and his wives discuss it more. Cody sighs in resignation during this confessional scene. And I'm sure his wives made him feel even more insecure. And you know what? I don't blame them for it. Janelle said he was atrocious with a buzz cut. Christine said it was awful. I don't really think Cody hangs on to his hair for his wives. Cody has now lost all of his wives. 
he lost most of his hair a decade later and he's still holding on to the grandpa surfer look and I don't think he's ever going to change it. But if that's how he likes his hair, that's how he likes his hair. Who gives a fuck what we all think? Hogan is all packed up. He's ready to go after the family lunch. Janelle is sad that her first child is leaving home. Logan thinks it's going to be really nice to get some space and some breathing room with going to college. And he feels he'll be able to stand on his own two feet on his own for a while. He thinks he might miss his room, but he really doesn't feel connected to the house. He's not sentimental over leaving this house. He's hesitant. It's a big thing to move out. And he's never been out of the house for this long, not for a whole year. He's excited. He's also worried. He says he hasn't been his own primary caregiver for a year at a time. So he's nervous. He has butterflies, but the thrill of the new adventure overshadows his nervousness. This kid wants to party. He wants to be free. He has had so much responsibility. He's been parentified at a young age. I think he deserves it. He's a great family member. He's a great sibling to his brothers and sisters. He deserves to enjoy it and live life for himself. Robin had a family quilt made for Logan and Cody is signing Logan's quilt. Everyone is signing it. All of the kids and parents are putting messages on this quilt for Logan. It's an off to college gift, a surprise for Logan that Robin's sister Fawn made. The quilt is all pictures of the whole family on one side. It's in UNLV colors. One side is of the family and the other side is just pattern fabric. Cody thinks the quilt is going to be this cheesy thing at college. It's going to be nerdy. I think the quilt is awesome. I wouldn't use it in my dorm room. It's more of a keepsake, but I did think it was a cool idea, and it's something that Logan can keep for the rest of his life that has sentimental value. Robin wanted to send Logan away with something. Cody says he was being creative. He was staring at the quilt, and he wrote some words to Logan. He wrote Logan a message. Cody wrote that no matter how people feel about Logan or his life or anything like that, nobody has the right to be disappointed with him if he is doing what God wants him to do. Cody's message to Logan was to be decent and to be a gentleman. Cody explains that was his credo for his boys, to be gentlemen. Wow, I want to know, does Cody consider himself a gentleman with the way he's behaved over the years with his toxic behavior? Is Cody's toxic behavior gentleman-like? Is it decent? Is it something his sons should emulate? Luckily, though, the mothers in the family have instilled the qualities needed in all of the boys to be decent and to be gentlemen, and it really shows. Cody explains that if we think that he was advising Logan not to have sex with his message, we have to understand that in his world and in his belief system, When you are sexually active outside of a marriage, it is unhealthy all the way around. And Janelle adds that she always wants Logan to be her little boy and to make all of these great, perfect choices, but she is well aware that her idea of a perfect choice and his idea of a perfect choice may not be the same thing. Cody reflects that he can't tell if he wants to stay naive or if he just needs to ultimately become totally tolerant so that his heart isn't broken by the lives his kids live, by the choices they make. Cody is worried about his sons breaking his heart or hurting him if they don't live the way he thinks they should. Yet look at how much heartbreak Cody has caused his kids with his own behavior. 
Cody is always focused on his suffering, on his heart, on his emotions, his sacrifice. But Cody never worries about how his behavior affects everyone around him. It's always about how people affect him and not the other way around. Cody also seems to be anticipating imminent disappointment in his sons. Like his son's choices are going to cause future heartbreak if they don't live life the way he would if he were in their shoes. But consider the possibility too that they might go out into the world and knock his socks off with the men they turn out to be and their achievements in life. Instead, Cody is doom and gloom already anticipating negative, heartbreak, bad energy. The truth is, even if his sons live their lives exactly as Cody wanted them to, Cody would find the negative. He would look for disappointment. Nothing would actually please him or be perfect regardless of what path they take or what choices they make. Just like nothing his wives could do was ever enough for him. The wives could never do enough to please Cody. And Cody takes the same vein with his kids. And he always anticipates the worst. Rather than looking at his son's future with all of this possibility and all of this hope, Cody's anticipating that he's going to be heartbroken before they even get to be set free into the world. Next, over at Janelle's, the family's gathering for Logan's send-off lunch. Logan has requested his favorite, and it's steak. Cody is really going to miss Logan. He really tries not to think about it because it's a first. It's his first kid leaving home. Cody feels like Logan has been distancing himself from him, trying to make the separation rather than cutting it off clean to gradually let it off. Maybe Logan is distancing to make it easier emotionally, or maybe Logan senses the lack of cohesiveness and unity in his family since they moved to Vegas. Maybe Logan senses how checked out his dad is, and maybe that creates the distance. I don't know. I'm just thinking. The OG3 have confirmed that by the time of Vegas, Cody was already acting differently, and the relationships were already all strained. There was a lot of separation, and I think Cody knew himself at this point that he would prefer monogamy by this point. He was absent. He was absent at Mary's house. Christine was like a single mom. Janelle did her own thing. And even if Cody showed up regularly, he was distant. He was phoning it in. I think Cody is the one creating the distance. I think at this point he was already gravitating to Robin's by this point and I think the kids felt the difference in the family and I think the wives felt the difference in the family. Cody goes on that he senses Logan's euphoric excitement and he couples that with his realizing that his son's leaving and he knows it's just 30 minutes away but Logan is still leaving the house. It's a benchmark where Logan is leaving and Logan is saying now he's his own person from this point forward. So Cody can sense Logan's emotions, Logan's euphoria, Logan's excitement to get out and see the world. And he couples this with his melancholy about his son leaving. Logan reflects that everything he's going to miss also coincides with the things he is not going to miss. He says the chaos of his family grows on you. In all of the chaos and the noise, you also have this attention and this love and this activity and this life in the house, and that's the aspect he finds nice about it. But there are also other times when you won't get anything done, it's too loud, it's too obnoxious, it's too noisy, and he says also, 
everyone has an opinion and everyone wants to share that opinion. So Logan feels on his own, it's just going to be his opinion, no one else's. It's going to be his decisions, no one else's. And Logan was really anxious to go after lunch. But the family wants to give him his gifts. They give him the video. They give him the quilt. Logan's first thought about the quilt is there is no way he's taking that to his dorm. And then he decides he wants to hang it on his wall. Logan's second thought on the quilt was it was a well-made quilt. Everyone signed it. He was reading the messages. He was touched by it. Logan felt, you know, it's a cool way to send him off. And as Logan gets older, he'll be happy that he has that quilt. I thought that was an awesome gift. The family also made the video, of course, and Logan sat there. He watched the whole video with the family. He loved the messages of them telling him, this is why we love you. I personally thought the video was awesome. I thought it was a very sweet idea and it was just full of love and full of good energy. Nell didn't expect Logan to sit there and want to watch the video with the family, but Logan decided to watch the whole video. He was amused by it. Christine thought it was so sweet how interested in the video Logan was, how Logan sat there the whole time. And Cody tells Logan he has been pleased with him as a son and he has always been decent and he hopes Logan continues being decent. And he again tells Logan he's proud of him. And Janelle tells Logan he has been almost perfect and it's time for him to do something just for him. Before Logan leaves, Cody has the whole family go to the property to see the progress on the home since there are some walls up already. Cody really wants Logan to see this before he leaves. Cody points out that once they move into the homes, there is still going to be a lot going on. Aspen and Leo are going to be graduating high school. They're going to be deciding what colleges they want to attend. Cody, though, is most anxious about Mary making a decision about whether they're going to have a baby or not. Cody feels like Mary really needs to make a decision, and he feels it's a decision for both of them to make. He feels awkward about it because they're sitting here, and it's not a decision that they have to make tomorrow, but Robin has offered to be a surrogate, and Mary feels like if she's going to try to do this, she should first try to be the one to try and carry a baby herself through IVF. And then the second option would be trying the surrogacy with Robin. Cody needs a decision made for the sake of their well-being and to plan their lives out. He wants a decision. So Cody made the deal with Mary. Let's do this. Now once we've moved into the houses, let's make that choice after we're settled in the houses. So Cody wants Mary to get adjusted to the new house and then make the choice, yes or no. And Cody says they're going to go with whatever Mary decides. It's up to Mary. It's not really up to Mary. And ultimately, Cody doesn't go with what Mary decides. Ultimately, Mary mulls it over. She settles in her home and she decides she wants to try for a baby. And Cody is the one to say, I'm not having another baby with you. After putting Mary through the pressure and the appointments and the emotional roller coaster of making her believe he was considering this. Now, Mary was hesitant at first, understandably. I don't think she wanted to go through all of the poking and prodding and all of the hopes and dashed expectations just to maybe have a baby. And I think she thought it through and she decided finally she would like to try. And Cody's the one who told her no. Now, in hindsight, obviously, it's a really good thing they didn't go through with it considering the state of their relationship, but Cody got Mary to consider IVF, and he is the one who initially suggested it, who pushed it, 
And Mary, of course, was hesitant. She had trepidation of whether she emotionally wants to put herself through this again. And he told her it was her choice, which of course it is. It's her body. And she decided finally that she wants to do this only for him to reject her. And I can't imagine all of the emotions of that. Back to the property, Janelle explains that there was progress. It shocked them all. They saw frames of the houses. They saw some walls there. And Cody knows dynamically it changes everything. Even just seeing the framework, everyone is thrilled. And Mary is very excited about her huge yard. Cody feels moving in the homes, it's a goal of theirs. They're accomplishing that. So now what Cody wants is for the family to have a family mission statement. And he thinks it's time they design something for their family, a statement, a vision for their family. So Cody wants all of the adults to work on it. He explains when they went on vacation with the Dargers, the Dargers explained to them about how they first started their family. And when they started their family, they had a mission statement. The wives and Joe sat down and they wrote this family mission statement for their family together. Joe felt they weren't just establishing their family. This was also an organization and Joe was a business major. So Cody thinks it's a good way for the family to get together and to get on the same page. They're going to get the mission statement in writing, what they desire in their lives. And Mary thinks it's a good time to do a reset. They're all going to get into these new homes. So it's time to regroup now. Robin adds that it's time to redefine who they are. Cody feels they need to establish themselves with all of their love and all of their energy into this place as a home so that their kids can feel that nostalgia. And Cody feels as a family, they need to sit down, they need to discuss this. And he thinks they all individually have different visions in their heads of what this means and they need to bring it all together so it's one vision that they all share. And Robin adds, it's what you do even in a monogamous relationship. You bring together two people, two cultures, and you figure it out. But in their family, they have five people. Mary feels they wouldn't be here now all together if they weren't committed. So at this point, Mary is moved to tears. She says she knows the commitment is already there. And there have been times when any one of them would have walked out if not for that commitment to the family. Christine explains that looking at the property, looking at the houses going up, knowing Logan is leaving, she started thinking about how Aspen and Leo are graduating next year. And the year after that, more kids are graduating and the next more kids are leaving. So it's really important they have to have the houses feel like home in order for the kids to establish roots. And it stresses her out thinking that they have looked forward to living all together again and she doesn't want it to be too late. She doesn't want the kids to feel like it's too late or like they don't feel that homey vibe, that home-based experience. Christine explains that they have all looked forward to living all together again and she doesn't want it to be too late. And as awful as it is to think that it may be too late, it can't be too late. She feels they have to unite there to get their kids to come back home. Cody would love the family to be in the homes before Christmas. And Christine wants to start with at least having Christmas there. Robin points out that that would be Leo and Aspen's last Christmas at home before they leave for college if they can get in before Christmas. Mary gets emotional at the thought of Leo leaving 
And Robin assures Mary they're going to push, they're going to get into the houses before Christmas Day. It doesn't exactly happen like that for everyone, though, as we know. Mary gets overcome with emotion thinking about Leo leaving. She isn't ready for them to leave. Leo keeps telling their mom that they need to be in the homes ASAP, especially because they're going to be gone soon. They really want to have as much time in the new house as possible. Cody explains that from the time they had Logan born, he always tried to view the family as one family. And Cody feels like they have given their kids a very solid foundation in a family experience of one family. And it's been a very grounding place where they've had all of these siblings and this big family that has had influence in their lives. And Cody believes all of his children will make very good citizens. And he believes that is because of their experiences that they have had growing up in this big family together. Cody's right about one thing. All of his children definitely are thriving in the world, living, fulfilling, full, happy lives as good citizens. And in my opinion, that's not a testimony to Cody. That's a testimony to the mothers in this family who sacrificed everything, their own wants and needs, to prioritize the larger family ahead of themselves in order to make sure they raise good people, good citizens of the world. That is it for this episode. I'll be back next week with the next episode of my Sister Wives Rewatch, Sister Wives Season 6, Episode 1, Picking Up the Pieces. Thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye.